This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Friday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, um, faith crisis questions. We'll do whatever we can to answer your questions. All you have to do is dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. If you uh, don't want to call, you can email questions by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app, especially today. If you can hear that sound in the background, it started raining crazy hard here just a couple of minutes before we went on the air. So please be careful driving in your car. The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. One button, call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Before we get to some questions and any phone calls that come in, uh, let me mention a couple of things that are going on here at Calvary Chapel this weekend. Uh, I realize there is a lot of weather out there, uh, but we have uh, our Bible study tonight. I'm going to finish Acts chapter 22 and get into chapter 23. Uh, Really important studies about the sovereignty of God. Um, We have a dry place, so come in. Kids will be taught the Bible as well uh, tonight at 7 o'clock. If you can't come, you can watch it at calvaryessay.com. Tomorrow, ladies, is a really important day for you. It is our ladies' fall luncheon. Now, the forecast is for rain all day tomorrow, so bring an umbrella, but please don't let the rain deter you for coming. Uh, You will be blessed, I promise you. It's just a great time of fellowship. There'll be bunches and bunches of ladies here. And while you may not look as elegant coming through the rain as normally you do, it will really be a good day. And uh, I know that Paul and all the other ladies look forward to seeing you. So that's tomorrow at 1030 till 2.30 here at the Sanctuary Calvary Chapel of San Antonio in Universal City. Uh, Having said all that, hope you have a great weekend in church. Let's go right to the telephones and talk first with Renee on line one. Renee, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Pastor Ron, do you remember me from 2012? I I do. I do remember you, Renee. When you went, you know, when you went on vacation... You played me. I said, I don't want to hear my voice. This is about (laughs) Jesus. I don't want to hear my voice on the radio. (laughs) But you know, Pastor Ron, you said um, it's going to go away. It hasn't gone away. And you know, Pastor Ron, um, 
When Eric, my fiance, died, his children, they won't leave me alone, and they're not even American citizens. And then guess what happened, Pastor Ryan? Um, he has almost an acre of land on Canyon Lake. It's beautiful. I've been out there, Pastor Ron. Mm-hmm. I have to have it with her. And then I said to my lawyer, um, Pastor Ron, he's just like my lawyer, John Becky III. He didn't charge me any money. And my lawyer says, no, Renee, it's not like when you cross over from Mexico. <laughs> this is Denmark. This is a whole thing different. You know, Pastor Ron, I'm, I'm celibate. And all these men, they think I'm pretty, and I'm living for Jesus. But Good things you, don't go really. together. When do you think that it will? And I love Paula. She waited for you 13 years. <laughs> now look at Pastor Rock. That's the 12 <laughs> disciples. <laughs> Renee, thank you, you very much. And, uh, Renee, I, I miss when you when you don't call. I, I want to know that you're okay. Um um, you keep honoring the Lord with your body. You're living a celibate life. You're a, you're an unmarried woman. Uh, don't worry about what anybody else thinks. And uh, God is pleased. And you know, it doesn't mean that things are going to go in our lives the way we want them to. But what it means is that God is every single day, Renee. He's proud of you. He's smiling on you. And he's with you. So look to him. And uh, stay in touch with us, Renee, because we want to know how you're doing. I remember your call from last week, not just from 2012. I remember your call from last week. Renee, we're praying for you. Let's go to line two now and talk with Jimmy from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thank you for taking my call, Pastor Ron. What's up? Yes, I was wanting to know about the seventh feast and how Jesus as the completion of them. Okay, say, uh, Jimmy, I didn't quite understand the seven what? Feast. Oh, the seven feasts. And how uh, Jesus Jimmy, completed them. <clears throat> yeah, I, I can, uh, all of the feasts pointed to Jesus and were a picture of Jesus. Um, we're getting ready to to uh, to celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the, the, the high holy day, or one of the high holy days of the of the Jewish faith. Um, and and uh, it, it is less about Jesus than the other feasts. But uh, I really, Jimmy, don't have time to go into all of the feasts other than to say that um, Jesus fulfilled them all. Um, Jesus, of course, was the Passover lamb. That's the most important festival that pointed to the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make for us. But the feasts were all a picture of Jesus. Now, one of the things, Jimmy, that, that I struggle with from time to time here with people on the radio program is that, that we feel like, especially as Christians, that there's some real value in going back and celebrating the Jewish feasts. And other than for the purposes of seeing Jesus, there really isn't any value in that. Um, Jesus fulfilled those feasts. So for us to go and um, um, celebrate Passover, to celebrate the other festivals of the Jewish faith, uh, it's, it's sort of like hugging a picture instead of hugging a real person. Uh, so the, the important thing of the feast is that they pointed to Jesus so that Jews would see 
But for those of us, especially Gentiles, looking back, we can see and understand that those festivals have all been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, and we don't need to do those things anymore. I, 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 I often really, really struggle in my heart uh, because people are trying to get closer to Jesus by doing those things, and really, that doesn't have any value in that sense. The only value those feasts have is that we can look at our Bible and say, God's been telling the story of Jesus from the very beginning. Uh, one of the benefits of teaching the Bible the way we teach it, book by book, verse by verse, is that we get through all of those books and we can celebrate, uh, or I mean, so we can study all those feasts that we're celebrating. Um, but Jimmy, for us today, uh, we don't have to celebrate those feasts because the feast, the, the the fruit of the feast, Jesus himself lives in us and has made us these wonderful, wonderful promises. So to go backward seems to me to be counterproductive rather than just walking forward. Um, the, the answer to your question, there's, there's all kinds of information available about those festivals. Uh, if you want specific information, but to talk about each of the festivals, Jimmy, would just take way too much time. And to be honest with you, while I know um, the purpose of the festivals, uh, I, I really want to take Paul's advice. I want to be um, simple about those things uh, because the value of those things to me um, has been realized in the person of Jesus Christ. So, Jeremy, I apologize for not being um, more specific, um, but that's about the best I can do on the radio program. Appreciate the call. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inbox from Dorothy. Dorothy, it is so good to hear from you again, to know that you're doing well. Here's her question. Dear Pastor Ron, help with an exclamation point. A professing Christian who is mainly accusing others and actually is not responding to anything anyone else says to him is something I cannot figure out. I once was exposed to spiritual warfare, but I don't know much about how to deal with the whole thing in this situation. Who does really, she asks. And then she says, I know I'm being sanctified, as we believers are, being renewed in our minds. Is that scripture reference to tell us who you are actually talking to? In other words, how is a believer to respond in such a situation? You know, Dorothy, Paul tells us to avoid foolish controversies. Uh, we're, we're never to argue with people. And one of the banes of my existence, Dorothy, is what you're describing here. And that's somebody who is a Christian. And most of these people really are. So, so don't judge uh, this person's heart. But... but Rather than letting the Holy Spirit examine their heart, they're playing the part of the Holy Spirit examining the hearts of others. And we can never look out. I tell our church here all the time that the Holy Spirit always has us looking in. It's the unholy spirit that, that has us looking out. And it's so easy to look at others and point a finger at the things they're doing wrong or the things that they're saying wrong or the fact that they're holding other people to a standard that they themselves can't keep. But the truth is that's so fleshy, Dorothy, that if in fact um, they're acting in their flesh, they're probably not going to accept that kind of correction from anybody. I don't even think it's as much spiritual warfare as it is just the ugly battle with our flesh because it's so much easier than to let the Word convict you, to let the Spirit convict you. 
you know, I've said this before, Dorothy, but one of the reasons that people don't like to read their Bibles is because when you read your Bible, the Word of God, um, empowered by the Spirit of God, is forcing us to look into a mirror and we see ourselves in a way that's not flattering. Well, it's the same result when somebody else is always pointing out at other Christians or judging their behavior instead of improving their own. You see, God will deal with you and you alone. Uh, It's nobody else's job to deal with you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Now, I want to make one thing clear, Dorothy, and, and here's the case where you're talking about somebody who is sinning. So if this is a professing believer and he is sinning by by judging others, by accusing others, and in this case the implication is that he's gossiping about others, well then the way you have to respond is to say, I don't want to hear about these things. A believer shouldn't talk this way about another Christian. A believer shouldn't make these accusations. A believer shouldn't gossip. And so... If you're not going to stop, I can make sure you stop with me and just refuse to be engaged in the conversation. You know, one of the things about gossip, Dorothy, is that it takes two people, at least two people. If the gossiper has no audience, the gossip stops. So if I could get every Christian who can hear this program today simply to say the next time somebody says, did you hear about her? Do you know what this person's doing? If I get every Christian to say, you know what? I don't want to hear that kind of stuff and turn around and walk away. We would put a big dent in this whole gossip issue that is so prominent in so much of our church and way too much of our church. So Dorothy, thank you. And you're right. You are being sanctified. That means every day we're being more and more like Jesus. I appreciate you tuning into the show. Most of all today, I pray that Uh, I'm grateful that I know you're okay. Uh, I get connected to and 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 uh, attached to people that call, and you're one of them, Dorothy, and you know what I mean. Thank you very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions, or toll free eight seven seven six three zero K S L R. Here is a question from our mobile app that just came in from Mick. Regarding the criminals crucified with Jesus, Luke says that one thief hurled insults and the other rebuked him for not fearing God. Matthew reads that both criminals hurled insults. We know scripture does not contradict itself. Why the difference in presentation? There's a lot of things about Jesus' crucifixion, uh, his burial and resurrection, where the different authors include different facts. Uh, When Luke says that one thief hurled insults, it's because his focus was on the, the, um, the thief that hurled the insults and then the other one, as God was changing his heart, uh, the other one rebuking him. In other words, have you no fear of God is what he said. But we also know from Matthews, this isn't contradictory information. This is simply complementary information. Uh, Matthew says at the beginning, they both were hurling insults at Jesus. And that's so valuable for us to know because what it tells us is that this one thief who repented and Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. This one thief saw the way Jesus died. He heard the things Jesus said. He heard the horrible accusations and the offensive behavior against Jesus from those who were watching the whole crucifixion. 
And he became convinced by watching Jesus die of who he really was. And so before it was too late, he said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus, of course, made him the promise of eternal life. Today you will be with me in paradise. The same principle applies, Mick, uh, in the in the resurrection accounts when they were going to the tomb. And uh, one story will focus on the one angel that spoke, but another gospel writer will add more information and say there were two angels. So if if the contradiction would only be a real contradiction if, in fact, in your case, uh, Luke says that only one thief hurled insults at Jesus, and then Matthew said, no, both criminals hurled. That would be an insult, or, I mean, a, a contradiction. The, the specific purpose is Luke is simply identifying or focusing on the one. And there is a greater story to be told than the scripture gives us. By the way, these supposed contradictions that people come up with, these things actually validate the authenticity and the authority of the word of God. If every word was the same, we would think, oh, all they did was get together and come up with a story. But no, they tell the same story from different perspectives. And the value we have in, tell, in, in, in having four Gospels is that we get different emphasis and different information. Again, no contradictory information, just more information from one or less information from another. Uh, Matthew um, um, would be a big picture guy. Luke says, no, I'm just talking about the one who is going to be condemned forever in this case. So make great question. Thank you very much. 340-9585. Here is a question from Danny. And you know what? This is a question actually from Wednesday. And I wanted to do it at the top. So, Danny, I apologize. We only had a minute on Wednesday night, so I'll go over it again. Your question was, I'm a Christian but really don't like going to church. I've heard you say that's wrong, but why? And where does it say that in the Bible? The only thing I had time to say the other day, Danny, was that Hebrews 10.25 says as boldly and, and emphatically as it can say it, do not neglect the assembling together of the saints. That's not just hanging out for dinner, but going to the place where Jesus is present. Jesus is walking around, according to Revelation, in the middle of his churches. He's here. And this is the opportunity in church that we get to use our gifts to minister to others. Church is a place that we come to be equipped to do the work of God. Church is the place that we come and we exercise the gifts of the Spirit that God has given us for the benefit of other people. Church is the place where we come and develop lifetime relationships, people that we're going to be with not only for our our lives here on earth, but in eternity. Yesterday, as Paul and I were leaving the church, one of the ladies who's been around here forever, uh, Michelle is her name, uh, she was telling us that her son turned 17 yesterday. And, uh, you know, I felt like a thousand years old when she said that. But, but I've known this kid his whole life. This family has meant so much to us. And when I got to see this boy today, I, I was able to say, oh, I'm sorry I missed yesterday. I didn't see you in time, but happy birthday. And then uh, he smiled at me and I said, you know what? We've known each other literally your whole life, haven't we? And he says, sure have, and I'm happy about that. That's what happens in church, those kind of relationships, Danny. Now, 
More specifically, you need to really check your heart. Why don't you like to go? Is it because you're lazy and you'd rather be doing something else? Maybe sitting at home playing video games or, or maybe going hunting or going fishing or golfing or something like that? Worship, Danny, is a sacrifice. Jesus, who sacrificed everything for you, he asks so little of us. And he asks for a sacrifice of your time, your talent, your treasure. And if you don't like it, you need to check your heart. For me personally, Danny, and I'm in church more than you are, I can promise you that. I can't, for the life of me, imagine why a real Christian doesn't want to be in church and be with other Christians. Now people say, well, they're hypocrites or they, they, they judge me. We can do all kinds of things, but none of that matters. They judge Jesus and he's here. So Danny, when I get this question, I always want people to check their heart. What makes you think you're a Christian if you don't like being around his people? What makes you think you're a Christian if when the word is taught, you don't get excited by it? And convicted, by the way. And maybe if conviction is the reason you don't like going to church, you need to reevaluate your priorities spiritually. You see, when you're convicted, it gives you a chance to repent and get right with God. Church, when the Bible is taught, makes you think about eternal things. It changes your perspective from the perspective of this world to the things that will last forever and ever. And Danny, if Jesus says to go to church, and he does so in Hebrews 10.25, but his whole life, Jesus went to church when he knew the synagogue, when he knew that people there were plotting his murder. He still went. Why? He did it for you and he did it for me. So, Denny, I would ask you to really and seriously check your heart. Why are you a Christian if you don't like his church, if you don't like his bride? And what are you doing instead? On a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening or a Friday evening, like we're going to have church here tonight. What would you be doing instead? You know, I have to be here because I'm going to teach. But I would be here even if I wasn't teaching. Why? Because this is where God's people can be found. I'll be praying for you, Danny. Here is a question from Edward. Edward says, and I'm laughing with you, Edward, not at you. I have trouble dying to self. Do you have any tips that will help? Well, Edward, first of all, let me tell you that join the crowd. Everybody I've ever met has trouble dying to self. Jesus said, to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross. Luke adds the word daily there. The cross is an instrument of execution. If it was easy, Jesus wouldn't have to tell us that. Even the great apostle Paul said, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. O wretched man that I am, who can rescue me or deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives us the answer, Edward, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. So if you want to die to yourself, you've got to be with Jesus. 
He's the one who made it possible. He's the one that put his Holy Spirit in you, gave you the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he did it so that you can overcome your flesh. Edward, spend more time in the Word. Spend more time talking with Jesus. That's praying, but just it's just being in constant contact with Jesus. And in the process, you will be more and more like him every day. Let me give you one other really practical clue. At your church, wherever it is, serve others. We need practice dying to ourselves. And if we serve and nobody appreciates it, well, when you stop getting angry at that, you'll know that you're dying to yourself. The first verses in Luke chapter 17 talks about what a real servant looks like and how a real servant responds. So those are just things where we practice dying to ourselves. And then we say one other thing, you can't do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own. The only way you can die to self is to be with Jesus. Our flesh is so strong. Our flesh is so stubborn that honestly we want to indulge our flesh instead of dying to our flesh. And Jesus will be right there with you. He wants you to die to you because if you die to you, then you can live for him. And that, Edward, is the whole purpose. The whole purpose of living. It's to live for him. Thanks for the question. and You're not alone. We've got 30 minutes left in the week on the Friday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back i you know when we we, we start the last half hour of the week it's like i can't believe the week is already over we've only got 30 minutes we'd love your live calls and questions just be careful while you're driving 340-9585 here's a really important question that was sent in by Dwayne. he says do you believe creationism is an essential of the christian faith and if so why uh it is not Dwayne, a theological essential It is, however, a practical essential. Now, let me explain what I mean. You know, we have been so beaten down in this world that we live in that we've evolved from lower life forms or or, um, uh, we're the result of a big bang and amoeba sliming out of some um, pool. when we get saved, most people don't understand the six-day creation. When I got saved, I didn't understand that. I just knew I was a sinner and I was going to hell and Jesus was the answer for hell. So I became a Christian, and believe me, the moment I gave my heart to Jesus, I was a real Christian. But if somebody would have said to me that day, okay, well, explain how man came to be, I would, I would have regurgitated my old biology classes and science class, 
lessons. We were brainwashed, and, and, and our children are still being brainwashed. I believe it is an essential for a fruitful Christian life to believe in a literal six-day creation account. I absolutely believe, Dwayne, that it is essential that we believe that Adam and Eve were the first two humans created specifically by the hand of God. Those are essentials of our faith. Now, here's why I said they're practical essentials. They're practical essentials because if we don't believe in a literal interpretation of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, if we, if, if we spiritualize it, if we say, well, yeah, but, you know, it could have been day ages or, you know, maybe this is just an allegory. It's not really how it happened. And maybe God used evolution. If we believe that, then every essential of our historic Christian faith falls apart. If Adam wasn't the first man, then Jesus, the second Adam, has no value to save. If Adam wasn't literally created by the hand of God, then we're all lost. If he wasn't created in a perfect environment, then there's no need for us to be rescued. So here's the thing that we have to understand. If Jesus, the second Adam, dying for our sins was necessary, it's only necessary because the first Adam fell. The idea of atoning sacrifice, the idea of the resurrection from the dead. More to the point, Dwayne, if Genesis is not literally true, Jesus lied to us. Because we have his words. Matthew chapter 19, when Pharisees wanted Jesus to settle a dispute about divorce. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus didn't want to talk about divorce. He said, haven't you read in the beginning Adam and Eve? If that story is not true, literally true, then Jesus was wrong. If he was wrong, he's not God. If he's not God, we're all lost in our sin. So I understand there are real Christians who believe in an old earth, and by that I mean millions or billions of years. I understand that there are real Christians who open themselves to the possibility that God may have used evolution to create mankind. But I can promise you that if they're real Christians, if they're in the Bibles, they have to change their view. I can also promise you that their walk with Jesus is not fruitful. How can it be fruitful if you don't believe the one that you serve? So it is a practical, essential, Duane. Uh, it is not necessarily a doctrinal or theological essential. Essentials of the virgin birth, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his sinlessness. But if you don't believe the first 11 chapters of Genesis, as they are presented to us, then your faith really has no foundation.
So I hope that answers your question. It's so important. It's the only way that we can serve God with any confidence that he's God at all. I had somebody not too long ago, Dwayne, asked me, well, you don't believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, do you? And I said, well, we don't know that it was a whale, but yeah, I believe he was swallowed by a great fish. And he had this disgusted look on his face like, you Christians will believe anything. Now, this is a guy who probably believes that there's alien life and other planets. And he thinks, I'm the dumb one. Jesus believed in Jonah. Jesus told his story and used it as an example. An example that pointed to him. These are important things. Dwayne, thank you for the question. And don't let anybody talk you out of it. We don't have to make excuses for what we believe. We honestly do not have to be made to feel like we're second-class intellects because we believe those things. Somebody also asked me, and this is again recently, do I think that creationism ought to be taught in the public schools? And my response was only if the public schools, public education is interested in the truth. We don't have to back down from those conversations. Imagine what Jesus is going to do when he welcomes you into heaven. And he says, well done. And you'll say, what did I do? And he say, you'll say, well, you believed me and you stood up for me when the whole world was making fun of me. That's a pretty good thing to have thought about you from heaven's perspective. Here is a question from Chuck. He says, Pastor Ron, what does it mean that the word of God will not return void? It simply means, Chuck, that as we declare the word, you know, a lot of people are into defending the word. I think Jesus is into declaring the word. Jesus very seldom got into arguments. Jesus very seldom worried about discernment ministries or apologetics. He just simply declared the word. And the people that received it, received it. The people that didn't receive it, didn't receive it. And he was okay with that. Now, obviously, the rejections broke his heart. But he understood that that was the way it was going to be. So when we say that the word of God will not return void, it means that it will accomplish its purpose. In some instances, the purpose of the word going out is to save people. And we know that happens all the time. But in other instances, that the word goes out, even when it's rejected, it accomplishes God's purpose in justice and in fairness. Because the people that we share with, the people we declare the word with, they're going to stand before God without excuse. You know, Chuck, once... Uh, 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 actually weekly when I'm teaching the Word, uh, most notably on Sundays. That's the biggest crowds, of course, and God's always doing a great work on Sunday. I can see that people are being convicted and yet don't respond. There's times when you can almost cut the air with a knife. That's how thick it is with tension. Because Jesus is asking people, not because I'm preaching or shouting at people, but because Jesus is asking people to settle accounts with him, to get right with him, to stop sinning. And when they don't, it's not God's word that failed. That's all I do. I teach God's word. 
when they reject it, they will stand before God. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And they will be without excuse. Now, we won't be able to say anything in our own defense when we get to heaven, but from an earthly perspective, we have a tendency to defend what we do. Well, you don't understand why I am the way I am. Uh, It won't matter in heaven. And there will be people that will, at least in the natural, would say something like, well, I didn't hear, I didn't understand. And I always imagine Jesus going to the videotape. Now, videotape is old school, I understand that. But God will show that moment when his word was declared and the person that is being judged refused. It's one of the reasons, Chuck, that I take so seriously teaching the Bible. I don't shout it. I don't preach it. I don't tell funny stories. I'm the least funny person you've ever met. But I teach it seriously. I don't add to it or take away from it. And the reason I do that is because when I get to heaven, I don't want Jesus to say to me, well, why did you tell him what I told you to tell him? Why didn't you tell them that I loved them and I died for their sins? I can't imagine the pastors that soften the word of God. Well, you know, we didn't want to talk about sin because it made people uncomfortable. And church marketing people say that you don't want people to feel uncomfortable. You want them to feel exhorted so they come back week after week after week. The problem is that's not what God asks us to do. Our Bibles are written, Chuck, in such a way that the person who's walking with Jesus feels so secure in the Lord's arms. But it's also written so that the person who's not right with God, the person who's out of fellowship with God, feels equally insecure because he's not abiding or she's not abiding in Christ. So sometimes the word goes out, it doesn't get the desired result that we would like and yet the people who reject it will stand before God completely accountable. So that's what it means that the word of God will not return void. Too often, Chuck, we look for responses or conversions and think, well, you know, nobody heard it. The word the word failed. The word never fails. Because when people leave, and I'll just use our church, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, on a Sunday having not dealt with God, I can promise you it's not my fault. The word was taught, they had the opportunity, and now it's between them and the Lord. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here is a question from Kevin. God knows who's going to get saved, so why should we witness to people? Well, Kevin, we should witness to people because God said to. As a Christian, why do we need any more than his word? He told us to do it. He said that we're to be his witnesses everywhere we go. We're to be men and women who live lives that are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Why? So that we can witness to people. Here's another reason, Kevin. God knows who's going to get saved, but we don't. So we tell everybody. The parable of the sower. Matthew chapter 13. By the way, the foundational parable of all the parables Jesus told, the only one that he gave the, the definition of, the meaning of, 
it says that we're to scatter seed, and the seed, Jesus says, is the Word of God. Everywhere we go, we're to scatter that seed. Three of the four soil types, a picture of human hearts. Well, they got seed scattered, but it didn't produce any fruit. Only one did. You see, we're looking for the ones that will produce fruit. And Kevin, this is a question that usually is asked by somebody who just doesn't want to share. They don't want to be uncomfortable. you got to get over that. Get over yourself. Because it's our responsibility to tell people about Jesus. Imagine going out with friends. Maybe they're going out and have a few drinks and, you know, they're just having a good time and everybody wants to talk about anything but Jesus. Imagine one of them dies. Maybe they drank too much and had a car accident. And you didn't tell them about Jesus. It's important to be obedient. Just because we don't want people to think we're Jesus freaks, by the way, which is a badge of honor. We don't want people to think that we're just like those religious nuts. We don't share. It's a very selfish thing that we do. We, Kevin, have the answers to life. We alone, Christians now, have the answers to every problem anybody's going to face in life. We can take our brother or sister's hand in the mess that they're in and lead them to the one who can fix that mess, who has the answers. To not do that is the most unloving thing that we could do. Hope that's clear enough. Anonymous asks, is it wrong to have sex before marriage if you know for sure that you will marry him? Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. And you know it's wrong or you wouldn't have asked the question. Now, I've got no clue of this, just a suspicion. I hope a holy suspicion that you're asking the question because the man that you know you're going to marry is pressuring you to have sex. If it's you and you just want to have sex because you love this man, then you're going to decide you love him or Jesus more. And don't let anybody talk you out of loving Jesus more. And if I'm right in the first assumption that this man's pressuring you to have sex, hey, we love each other, we're going to get married, so why wait? That is not a man God sent to you. And in 99 times out of 100 is not a man who even knows Jesus at all. So a godly man will not ask you to defile yourself nor defile the relationship. A godly man won't pressure you to do something that God says is wrong to violate your conscience. So in all likelihood, if my scenario is true, this is the man that you need to run away from and leave behind. Jesus is the only man you need right now. And he insists that we live holy lives. Paul says that when a man or a woman sins sexually, we sin against our own bodies. Then he makes the point that all other sins a man commits are outside his own body. And sexual sin gives Satan a a deeper inroad, a, a, a more powerful way to destroy us. And once we go down that road, we're going to be destroyed. 
our hearts get so hard, we start living for the pleasure of the flesh. I know it's hard to abstain. You can only do it if you're standing with Jesus. But you have to be careful. 340-9585, how are we doing on time? little time for phone calls, about six minutes left. Here is a question from Anne. Pastor Ron, do you think revival is coming soon to the church? And I pray so. But honestly, I don't see any signs, especially in the West. I think that if there is a revival coming, and I say this, um, I, I think most would agree that the last real revival that we saw was the Jesus movement days, not just in the United States, but, but, but in Europe, especially there were, there were uh, lives being changed, uh, hippies being saved. Um, it spawned a whole generation of churches. Calvary Chapel is one of those churches. Um, and it was as though you couldn't stop the work the Holy Spirit was doing. I know men, friends of mine, who walked into churches in those days, Calvary Chapel, sort of the vanguard of the Jesus movement days, um, upset that they were there, had no intention of meeting God, didn't want to meet God. They were happy the way they were. And those men just fell out under the power of the Holy Spirit because God was doing a work. God was chasing them, not that they were chasing God. And honestly, and I, I just don't think that we see those kind of signs. I can tell you this, I think if revival does come, it's going to start in places and with people we would never imagine. Just like in the days of the hippies. Hippies were sort of the, the outcasts of society. Things that are not, Paul writes, the shameful things, the weak things, the despised things. And yet that's where God started his revival. So if there's going to be another revival, it's going to start in places that we would never imagine. It's not going to start inside the church. It's going to start with unbelievers. And Kevin, I think you're the one that asked the question about witnessing. That's why we witness. Wouldn't it be great if you witnessed to one guy or one woman it turns out God was going to use them to change the lives of multitudes? So, Anne, I'm not real hopeful. I think our church culture, especially here in the West, has grown comfortable and complacent. I, I really believe that we are described by Jesus' letter to the church at Laodicea. We say we are rich and have need of nothing. But Jesus says you're poor, pitiful, blind, wretched, and naked. Until we realize that we're that, I don't think there'll be a revival. Let's go to Lake Hills in Texas and talk with Ben on line one. Ben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Thank you so much for your ministry with everything you do. We appreciate it very much. Um, oh, just my pleasure. Quick Thank you. For you. It's, it's slightly loaded. Um, I know it's just a simple question, but I'll just hang up as soon as I'm done, and I'll just take your question off air. Um, do we have free will? 
<laughs> it is loaded, yeah. Ben, we do have free will. Um, we, that we were created in the image of God um, means that, like God, we have the capacity to choose. God chose us. We have to choose him back. That's one of the two things that is specifically meant by being created in the image of God. doesn't mean we look like God. doesn't mean we are like God. It just means we have the same capacity of choice that God has. The other, the other thing it means is that we are going to live forever somewhere. God is eternal. Um, once we're born, we will live somewhere forever. We have to make that choice. So, yes, we do have free will. God knows the choices we're going to make, but God doesn't manipulate those choices. Uh, God, I think, nudges us and keeps us in a place where we need to be to find God. Acts chapter 17 specifically says that we were put where we are, born where, when we were born, and placed exactly where we need to be in order to make finding God easier. But in our day-to-day lives, we have the choice. Paul says, do not quench the Spirit of God. If we had no free will, he wouldn't say that. And we quench the Spirit of God by refusing to do what God tells us to do. So, yes, we have free will. God is sovereign over that free will. Romans 8.28, as you know, Ben, says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So he uses even our rejection to accomplish his will. But make no mistake, God doesn't force us to do anything. He will make it hard because he loves us so deeply. He'll make it hard for us not to do what he wants to do. He will continually frustrate us. I had this conversation with my son not long ago. God is going to make everything you do on your terms fail. Why? Because you belong to him, because you love him. So you can make the choice to do what you want But God is going to make sure that that's a miserable existence. And my son said, well, I don't think that's fair. Well, God loves you. And my son has a son. If your son wanted to do something that was not the best for him, what would you do? And, And Ronnie sort of got it. So it's important we understand free will. Without free will, we're just automatons. We're just spiritual robots. The fact that God Thank knows much, what man. we're going to do. Oh, my pleasure, Ben. The fact that God knows what choice we're going to make has nothing to do with manipulating that choice. So, Ben, thank you for the question. And that's really important to understand and embrace. Choose this day. What did Joshua say? Choose this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm sure Ben is going to choose to serve the Lord. Paul and I, we're going to choose to serve the Lord. And I pray that that's the choice that you will make as well. Quick reminder, tomorrow, ladies, our ladies fall luncheon. It's going to be wet, but it's going to be wonderful. 1030 to 230 cost is 20 bucks. If you can't afford the 20 bucks, just show up and say, Pastor Ron told you on the radio that you could come. We'd love to have you. You will be blessed. May God bless you richly this weekend. Go to church, worship the Lord, and serve somebody. See you on Monday, Lord willing. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.